Good morning, Manchester, and to those of you in surrounding towns, welcome to Hour 1 of Drive at Large. I am your ever-humble host, Richard Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us online at GerardAtLarge.com, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, also at Drive at Large, where we encourage you to like us and to follow us because we just want to be loved. All right, I'm getting this from a loyal listener. Great article on head lice. You know, it's amazing to me what people talk about when they're running for elections and the things that they don't talk about. This head lice thing. I, I, I got to tell you, that was that was like. If that was a final straw moment for me is when the Manchester School Board decided that uh, head lice. Should be allowed in schools. I'm not actually kidding about that. Now, Manchester was one of the last districts in the state to do away with what was known as a no-knit policy, which means if a kid had head lice, they not only couldn't come back to uh, they they not only had to wait until the live bugs were out of their head, the nurse had to certify that there were no knits. And for those of you who don't know what a knit is, it's basically a, um, lice eggs. And they're really tiny, and they're white, and... They attach to the hair pretty much near the scalp. And so your best solution there, if you see a knit, is just to pull the hair out. Um, so Kathy Staub, then school board member at large, now candidate for school board in Ward 5, led the charge to reform the policy along evidence-based best practices which is why every time I hear someone say, oh, it's best practice, oh, it's evidence-based best practice, I cringe because I know that means something stupid is coming my way. Chances are. She didn't want children to be stigmatized by having to be removed from a classroom from head lice, and she didn't want to have parents be burdened by the need to care for their children at home until the head lice was gone. She actually said these things in public session which if anybody stopped to think about it would would realize how moronic those statements were because if you think that a child missing school for three or four days while the head lice is killed in their head is is going to be stigmatizing, just, just wait till you see how stigmatized a kid with live head lice in their head is at school when all of the kids figure out they've got bugs in their head and uh, make fun of them, stay away from them, et cetera, et cetera evidence-based best practices by the way head lice is contagious (laughs) nobody ever died from head lice Uh uh-huh so i have shared that uh article that was uh shared with me to gerard on the school board at large if you'd like to go read it obviously i don't have time i just saw it oh here's the title of the article why head lice epidemics are breaking out in schools across the U.S. Could it be morons with evidence-based best practices that don't want to stigmatize kids or impose on parents to care for them when their head is full of live bugs? Let's look. Head lice in children are rampant in schools throughout the country. The CDC reports that an estimated 6 to 12 million young people get head lice each year, and there are indications that these itchy bugs are growing widely resistant to the insecticides commonly used to treat them. 
A headlights outbreak earlier this month in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania school district was called unprecedented as 100 children were found to have had active lice infestations. Ew. While head lice are nothing new to affect children regardless of socioeconomic status or geography, the recent uptick in lice outbreaks could be due in part to new policy changes that encourage children to attend school with active head lice. In 2015, the American Academy of Pediatrics issued a report on head lice urging school officials to abandon their previous no-knit policies that prevented children from attending school when they had active where they had active nits or louse eggs. The AAP argued these no-knit policies potentially infringed on the civil liberties of students by keeping these children out of school for not technically an infectious medical issue. Life, life, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. We have Eddie on the line. Go ahead, Eddie. Hey, hey Rich, i got a quick question for you, if I could, all right? Go ahead. It, it, ties, into the election. it ties into the election. My question is this, Rich. When we talk about authority that we grant should grant to teachers, right, and things such as curriculum yep. and standards, yep. okay, and Dr. Sandra Stotsky has weighed in on this. How much authority, Rich, do you give the teachers? Because I know that they're on the front lines and all, but don't we want a professional standards writer writing the standards? Don't we want a professional curriculum writer writing the curriculum? And that's not a slam on the teachers, Rich. But could you go ahead and expand on that a little bit, please? All right, Eddie, um, um, can I can I do it after I finish reading my my uh, my, my my life sure, story? Sure, can. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. All right, because no, that's a question, right. and I want to sp- I want to spend time on that question, um, and so I will I will I will do that. But let me finish this article, okay? All right. All right. All right, Rich. Thanks, yeah. Eddie. All right, so. Um, yeah, yeah, potential civil liberties of students for crying out loud. Lice infestations can occur when people are in close proximity, share articles of clothing, or otherwise come into contact with someone with active lice, but lice are not infectious in strict medical terms. An October New York Times article on head lice reports the AAP has fought hard against no-knit policies in schools. In the interest of reducing the school absence associated with head lice, the CDC agrees, and schools are increasingly unlikely to exclude children for nits. The new lice policies can lead to widespread outbreaks as off as school often avoid checking for lice or notifying parents, which was a big issue here in Manchester. If there is an infestation, a Washington Post article this week on the topic reveals the current lackadaisical attitude towards lice, quote, because of the new policy. They no longer check students, did not call parents to pick up their children and did not notify the parents. There had been a report. My daughter's teacher did not send out a note email or even included the infestation in the newsletter that week parents are increasingly fed up with these new school district policies that they feel contribute to mounting lice infestations in nevada this week nearly 6500 parents signed a petition demanding that the washu county school district change its new lice policy and the uh, uh, that the reno gazette journal reports quote allows students with lice or louse eggs to ride school buses and participate in all activities even if lice are not treated a mom who treated her daughter for head lice 15 times in the last school year started the petition frustrated by the new district policy that allows children with active head lice to continue to attend school. It really comes down to accountability. Lice can be a common part of childhood, but parents need to take responsibility for effectively treating their children's lice before sending them back to school. And school districts need to reexamine absurd policies that unnecessarily spread these bugs to others. In Manchester, when we changed the policy, see Kate DeRozier because she was getting pressure out of uh, Gosler Park's parent-teacher group, but one of the parents there had a daughter who kept getting head lice. And she was a nurse and a preschool teacher, so it's not like she didn't know what she was doing to treat the lice. 
Kate DeRozier promised that she would vote to support the policy, and then she announced she was going to break that promise. And we passed the changes in Manchester by one vote. I guarantee you if Kathy Staub beats Lisa Freeman in Ward 5, she's going to bring this lice policy back, and we might not have the votes to stop it. But right now, the way it stands in Manchester is no live bugs. If you have nits, fine. No live bugs. The nurse will monitor you to make sure that there isn't another outbreak uh, and help, uh, you know, help with the, the, the nit removal. And if there is a kid in a class that gets head lice, parents of all of the students in that class will be notified that there is a child and that they need to check their kids' heads. We actually had to fight to amend the policy to include that notification. And that's when uh, Manchester Health Director Tim Susi told us that parental notification was against evidence-based best practices. And that's when I went all radio talk show host on him in open public session. And the day after that, he decided he was all done doing the segment here on the Drought Large radio show because he used to come see us every other week for um, public, uh, public, uh, public health, right? Public health with Tim Susi. Public health and wellness. Yeah, public health and wellness. Thanks, Josh. So now on to Eddie's. So just remember, if you're in Manchester Ward 5, the bug lady who thinks it's desirable for children to be in school with head lice is trying to get a seat back on the school board, if for no other reason than to keep bugs out of your kid's head. Please vote for my friend Lisa Freeman. Oh, by the way, she'll vote to take away the cupcakes again, too. Cupcakes bad, head lice good. What a weird, weird world we live in. Oh, my head. So on to Eddie's question now. Hold on a second. I'm getting a massage. Oh, Eddie, are you still there? Yeah, actually, I, yeah. It, it, it comes in better if I leave the phone on. I'm on a radio ring. Yeah. All right. So now, what, yeah. did, what is this thing? I want you to refine the question a little bit. Stotsky said, has said okay. what? Okay, Rich, we all believe in empowering teachers, right? They're yes, on we the do. front line. They know best, right? Right. But, you know, do we want the teachers to write the standards? Do no. we want the teachers to write the curriculum? Because I had a little back and forth on Facebook today with John Liskars, and he's, you know, I believe there are limits that you of how much authority you want to give teachers, and that's not a slam on teachers necessarily. Right. But, you know, if, if you take my position, you're then accused of being this bureaucrat lover, stuck in the old ways and all this and that. And I know Dr. Sandra Stotsky had, had talked to this, in the past, and she said it's actually better to leave the standards writing to a professional standards writer, and I wanted to get your input on that. Right. Well, here, here's what I would say. I'm not aware of this uh, this conversation on Facebook, so I can't comment oh, on that. Yeah. What, right. I, what, what, I, what right. I want to say, though, is this, Eddie. I, I believe that the problem that we have with standards is that people, generally speaking, who don't have a clue what they're talking about, like David Coleman, who gave us the Common Core, um, and a bunch of other political hacks— um, uh, because they don't know what they're talking about, do more harm than good. I do believe, obviously, there are people like Sandra Stotsky out there and James Milgram, among many others, who are very skilled at understanding how to create a standard that properly guides teachers in um, okay. in, in education. I think any process of developing standards, however, has got to consider multiple input points. For example, um, maybe you back into it. If, if your colleges say that uh, incoming freshmen have to be able to perform certain tasks 
then it seems to me if your goal is to get kids into college and help them succeed, you've got to know what those certain tasks they have to perform are and how well they need to perform them when they when they uh, uh, graduate high school. So you build your standards backwards. Okay, if I have to be here by the 12th grade, where do I start? Yeah. How do I uh, backtrack there? And I think, you know, uh, experienced teachers who understand what kids are like, generally speaking, at the age they're in, um, are going to have valuable input on what works and what doesn't and should be part of the process, as should businesses, as should the trades, as should parents, et cetera, et cetera, into determining what needs to be, what is possible, okay? And that's one of the problems we have with standards right now. You take a look at the Common Core. People look at them and they say they're, they use a fancy term, developmentally, in, uh, uh, developmentally improper or whatever the term is. Okay, inappropriate, developmentally inappropriate. And by that, what they're trying to say is they're expecting too much of kids at too young an age early on. And then at the at the other end of the spectrum, when they're in high school, they're expecting too little. So I think where teachers can guide the standards is by sharing their experience of how uh, uh, what their kids uh, typically are capable of. So that feeds the standard now where I think teachers should be given uh, uh, sway is maybe uh, in, in the methods that they use in their classrooms to teach the topics uh, or, the, or the curriculum that leads to the standards. I don't think teachers should be developing curriculum per se, but I think, and, and I've argued this, and you know it because you watch the school board, I have argued yeah. vociferously that there needs to be a broad set of inputs into any curriculum that would be adopted that, again, says, all right, what's our end goal here? Is our end goal to have the kid being able to, you know, uh, be doing calculus in their senior year or to whatever it is? Okay, fine. How do we, what should the standard be? What do, what do businesses need? What do trades need? What do colleges need? What does, uh, you know, what do parents need or want, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and then the the search to figure out the the curricular tools that will allow the standards to be reached has got to go through a similar process. And then once it's done, once you've determined the standard, once you've determined what you're going to use, the curriculum, the academic material you're going to use to meet the standard, then you got to leave the teachers to figure out how best in their classrooms to use those tools to reach those goals. All right, Rich. Thanks. That, I just wanted to get your input on that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a mouthful, but yeah. I mean, the Manchester Academic Standards are largely viewed now as a failure, and my understanding is they were largely teacher input. I mean, yeah, it was, you know, it was they, exclusively they, they, teacher input, and that's why I opposed the science standards that the Curriculum and, uh, 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 curriculum and Instruction Committee uh, uh, voted to uh, recommend on, Monday, on Tuesday night is because it went through the same closed-circuit process that the standards in English and math, which we now recognize as uh, problematic at best, went through. Yeah. All right, Rich. Thanks, Eddie. All All right. right. We're going to take a really quick break for traffic and weather and sports. When we come back, Mike Bistany's in the house.